Hello, 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 and welcome to Kindred Skulls. My name is Greg Blake. I am joined, as always, by my lovely and talented co-hosts, Matt Fries and Nick Olson. How are you guys this evening? Greg, I love how you say I'm joined as always, but we're not always joined with you. It's like, <laughs> it's technically true that joined as always with Nick and Matt. So I have that. that. You know what I have? I have that. Um, what's that? That syndrome called where you're the lead act, the lead character in, in the story and everyone yeah. around you. Is I mean, the- you're it's it's just <laughs> you're the protagonist of the universe, Greg. And, yeah, exactly. Uh, the world revolves around, around me. If I'm not here, the show does not happen. That's Welcome a good point. to our next <laughs> installment of the Greg Blake Show. Guest, <laughs> guest featuring Greg Blake. Hmm, the Greg Blake Show. That's not a bad idea. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, it's, you know, at this point, it's really just um, a, a, for, a habit, really, to, to, to announce you guys that way. And um, I'm always happy to see you. And and uh, we had a really good good uh, result this week. The, the, <laughs> yeah, the, good, good the result. Detroit Lions. <laughs> Yeah, it was a good result. We, we it was a little bit of a squeaker, but the uh, the Vikings end up victorious against the Detroit Lions. A, a tougher out than a lot of people expected this year, I think, except for maybe me. But uh, no, I'm just kidding. But it, it was uh, it was a it was a really interesting game. There was a lot of ups, a lot of downs, and we're gonna go over some of that here with our listeners here tonight. So, guys, why don't we dive right in? Let's talk about the first half of the game. Um, let's talk a little bit about what appeared to be offensive struggles. I mean, certainly watching the game myself, that that is what it looked like to me. So I'm curious, as you guys kind of dove through the tape this week, um, what was your impression of the offensive side of the ball in the first half of the game this week? And um, Nick, why don't we start with you? Lead us off here. What, what, what did you think? Um, so the Lions clearly came into this game daring they, they were said, we're going to double Justin Jefferson and we're going to dare the rest of the team to beat us. And ultimately, that's what happened. It didn't, I, I made this, I, I pointed that out initially, like they're doubling Justin Jefferson, so it's going to be on Adam Thielen and KJ Osborne to try and win this game. And of course, eventually, it took a while, it was a bit of a battle, but eventually KJ Osborne uh, caught that game winner. All he does is catch game winning touchdowns on the corner route um, against that cover one luck. So yeah, the, the Lions, I mean, we knew going in, this is the Lions identity on defense. They don't have a lot of horses, but they are going to run cover one anyway. Um, cover one is usually, a, it's, you know, it's man across the board with one safety over the top. And you usually only do it when you have like really good cornerbacks. And the Lions are like, we don't have really good cornerbacks, but we're going to do it anyway. Um, Okuda, um, I was going to say, they might have one really good corner. They might have one really good corner. I don't know if Okuda's – here's the thing. Like, the Lions, I don't know if their cornerbacks are good, but what they were is very, very grabby and very aggressive in press coverage. <laughs> or Warrior, number 24, got, like, flagged six times um, for all variety of pass interference holding and illegal contact downfield. And honestly, they probably could have called it, it like, at least twice as many times. Like, it was pretty much every single – so that was the game plan on, on the Lions – in the passing game is uh, double Justin Jefferson and and take everything away. And they succeeded. They limited Jefferson to, I think, two catches, 12 yards. But everybody else was able to sort of get their, get their, get, get, um, get things going. Um, I was also really impressed um, by the offensive line. I think this was by far the most impressive game from the offensive line. Um, obviously, the Lions do not have, you know, the, the kinds of studs that some of the other defensive lines in the NFL have right now. Um, but Derisaw was, this was the, his best game mm-hmm. as approach. Just, he wasn't just like, especially in pass protection, he wasn't just like stalemating. He was dominating. Like, like he was left one-on-one on an island, and it was like he could have, you know, <laughs> he could have like, you know, done hopscotch or whatever. in the Like, Kirk Cousins had all, like, he would not just like survive for three seconds. He would like lock his man out, like snatch trap, catch him, um, ride him around the arc, just shove him out of the way. He was like, he wasn't just stalemating. He was he was dominant, so that was great to see. Um, Ingram had a couple struggles, but like overall, like the 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 pass protection was good and the run blocking was really good too, which opened up some things for the running backs. So that was you know we, we're, I'm still waiting to see like a big explosive from Dalvin Cook or Alexander Madison. They've come like really close a lot of times, so I, I feel like it's only we're probably going to see them bust out like a 40 yarder one of these days. But um, run game was good. They still struggled to, I think initially out of the gate, they struggled to kind of understand that the Lions were going to just try and sell out to, to, to stop Jefferson. Cousins had a couple inaccuracies, but um, overall they were eventually able to put things together 
um, and, you know, come back twice because <laughs> they came back from down 14, nothing. Then they came back from down 24, 14 and were able to, to pull away and win. So, yeah. And, um, and we'll touch kind of on as a fan. It was not, it was not a lot of fun because you were clawing back the whole time, but they squeaked out yeah. with a win eventually. So, and, and we'll all, definitely all dive. Yeah. And we'll definitely dive a little bit more into that comeback in a, in a minute here. Um, I, I totally agree. I, you know, the, um, the, the feeling of watching the team this year is one where you realize after the end of like the first half or the second half or whatever, you realize you hadn't really thought about the offensive line much in this game. And to me, that's always my like litmus test for whether you're doing okay there or not. Like, I don't really think about them that much this year. And that's exciting because it's the first time in maybe six years that I can say that. And uh, it's, it's nice to see, especially Darisaw turning a leaf there. Um, Matt, talk to us a little bit about the defensive side of the ball, um, at least in the first half. You know, it seemed like we were struggling to contain the Lions. We weren't getting in Jared Goff's face. Yeah, Did so you- so on defense, um, I, I think there were a couple things in the first half. Obviously, in the secondary, and it's been pretty well documented, the spacing issues were still pretty bad on on defense, right? We're letting a lot of quick game stuff. We're, we're getting a lot of open receivers who are just finding soft spots in zones and able to make catches and extend drives, and it's, and it's been really frustrating. Obviously, the Lions went for it a ton on fourth down. Um, we played a lot of man in those situations, and, and twice they had guys running away from our coverage defenders. Uh, one time was Chandon Sullivan at Amon Ross St. Brown, one that went for like 30 yards was Chandon Sullivan in man coverage. And the other time, I think it was a wide receiver on Eric Kendricks, uh, Josh Reynolds against Eric Hendricks, I think, got, you know, a 10-yard game or something on, on fourth down, converting a fourth down. You know, that's that's first of all, that's a really tough ask for Eric Hendricks on that play. But second of all, I don't know if we have the defenders, this team speed on defense to be able to carry guys across the field of man. And that's a big concern if we want to run any man at all, because, you know, crossers are one of the are, are a pretty good man beater in general, especially if you don't have speed. Um, the, the run game, honestly, like, I think the run defense is great, especially considering how schematically we're approaching it. Um, so obviously with those two high safeties and, you know, we played a bit more cover three in this game, as Dick mentioned a bit earlier, but uh, with those two high safeties, you know, you're a man down in the box and we've done a really good job. I think, you know, particularly Tomlinson and Phillips have done a really good job of making up for that with the way they're playing, you know, two gapping, splitting double teams, playing that man and a half and the linebackers are filling very nicely. Um, There are going to be one or two runs where the other team gets, gets like a pretty solid run against you. And you saw that in this game as well. I mean, the, the one fourth down run, uh, you know, where Jamal Williams got like six yards or something on that. I can't remember if that was in the first or second half. It was pretty good. But then we also stopped them on a fourth down. Right? right? So so, so I think the trade-off there was pretty good, especially if it helps you in coverage. The problem is it hasn't helped us in coverage so far because our coverage has been pretty, pretty abysmal, I would say, through uh, at least the past two games, right? The Packers game is a bit of an asterisk just due to their lack of wide receiver talent in that game, I feel. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it definitely was a little nerve-wracking there in the first half. It, there was a point in the game where it felt like we were on the brink of just getting spanked. <laughs> you know, just straight up. They came out of the gates firing. Like it was yeah. it was it was a heavy play action shot designed offense. They came out of the game with like three play action shots and um one was dagger, you know, where where there's like the the number two, the the slot receiver mm-hmm. runs vertical and the outside receiver runs um sort of a, a basic or a square in or dig across the field. Um, and, and Patrick Peterson got caught on that one and there wasn't anybody in the zone underneath to help him there. Yep. And then they come back. Um, and it was interesting, you know, everybody thinks of like Ed Donatel as like, Oh, the shell defense, he's running the same defense every, every single time. But we were coming out, we were actually running like a lot of like rotating down to cover three or cover nine, which is um, weak rotated cover three in, in Fangio speak. So it was a lot of like middle of the field, closed type coverages, you know, single high safety type stuff. Um, but people like assume it's always the same. So anyway, we're mixing things up and I, I feel like they, they came out of the gate a little bit like break, rotating a safety down out of respect for this Lions running attack. Um, and I feel like they eventually learned that like, okay, um, like we, we have the horses, I think, to stop, the, stop the run attack up front, even if out gapped, we're going to dedicate more resources into the secondary. I feel like we'd, the defense has struggled, but it's also been really, really good in the second halves. And I feel like um, we should probably shout out the second half adjustments that that um, 
O'Connell and Donatello are making because um, well, they've done a really good job limiting things. Uh, even though they get they kind of now two games in a row they've gotten down early, they've been able to sort of punch back a little bit defensively yeah. as the game went on. Let, let's get and, right. And last week in Philadelphia, they weren't able to offensively put things together, but this game they were. Yeah, so, let's get right uh, down to it. Let's talk about the second half. That's. That's the great thing about football is even if you're getting spanked in the first half, you can go into the locker room. You can talk about what they're doing. Everybody's yelling at each other. It's this exhilarating 15-minute uh, period of time. And you come back out and you make adjustments. And like you said, that's something we did really strongly, um, uh, you know, even though we, we lost the game, I think, in week two. But um, let's talk about that a little bit. Talk about the adjustments, Nick. Keep keep it going. What, what, did, yeah, what did you see? Yeah, how did I we short it? I think the plan was – um, a lot of respect for this rushing attack, DeAndre Swift, Jamal Williams, and the Lions have one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. Um, and I think I think they played really well. Like Penny Sewell, I think this is for me. This is a game where like okay, Sewell has really arrived as like an elite right tackle because um, he and he and Hunter like there that was a battle. Like Hunter Hunter won some reps too, but also like Sewell looked like you know if if you're asking me who played better, Lane Johnson, who's um, you know arguably the best right tackle in the league or, or Sewell. I think Sewell had the better game. It's funny now that I think about it. <laughs> Next week, we're going to Ramchick. So those are, those are your three right tackles along with Brian yeah. O'Neill. So first row for Daniil Hunter. But other than that, um, that whole offensive line is good. Granted, they were a little banged up, but, but Ragnar was in there. He was back. He was healthy. Um, so across the board, really good offensive line. So I think they started out rotating that safety down. You know, they, they want to, as much as they can, um, show the same too high look every time so that, um, especially with a quarterback like Jared Goff, if you can if you can disguise things just a little bit more, make him do a little bit more post snap processing, that's always going to be an advantage for the defense. It's it's a way to like steal back, use a chess term. It's a way to steal back a tempo in in the in the in the defensive game. Usually on on defense, you're playing defense, you're playing um, passively, but it's a way for defenses to attack with their coverages. So that's why they do it um, as much as people attack it as like this passive um, samey uh, shell defense, um, but. So they started with rotating the weak safety down a lot. Um, but then as they realized, like, they had the horses to stop the run game, they needed to worry a little bit more. Okay, they're going to attack us so much with this play-action passing game. They're going to they're gonna hit us with those those basics running across the middle of the field. Um, okay, then let's switch to a little more middle of the field open so that the weak safety can poach those so that we have the hook defenders who can drop back and take those away. They still struggled with it throughout the game. And um, but I, I feel like once they shift, once that that, that shift clicked, it was a lot more, we're going to make you grind out these drives. And the Lions did, and they got to, you know, we had, they had six fourth downs that they went for it on, as, as Matt was alluding to earlier. And so um, they were able to sustain drives by going four of six on fourth downs. That's uh, one that's really aggressive. I mean, those are, those are if, if you win those, if you win those, it's a turnover on downs. If you don't, they basically you have a much higher, you know, chance of scoring. And there was a drive where they scored a touchdown where they converted two fourth downs in a row. So, um I want to say the defensive performance probably looked a little bit better than it felt um, in some ways because I feel like most coaches are not going to go for it six times on fourth downs and convert three of them. Like, defend, we stopped them a bunch on third downs. So, yeah. um, like, we were able to get them in good situations and then um, kind of just weren't able to, to deliver. And then there were a couple just key mistakes. Um, uh, like, the, 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 the third touchdown, it was on a power run, and um, Patrick Jones just gave up contain, and Jamal Williams was kind of able to get around the edge. So... Um, I, I feel like um, watching it live, it was a deflating performance, and I, you kind of like maddened yourself, like why are, why are the Lions driving up and down the field with us? Watching it back on tape, I kind of understood what was happening. I think the Lions came in with a good plan of attack. I think the Vikings adjusted well, um, and I feel like um, I have a little bit more confidence that going forward, we're not, it's not going to be a battle of a million fourth downs that we end up getting. So, um, and and the way that we gave up those fourth downs, I feel like. Um, there's a way to solve them. And you know, let Matt, Matt mentioned both of those crossing routes. And um, third, fourth downs, you want to play man coverage because, um, you know, man coverage, you have the potential to give up explosives a little bit more than zone coverage. Um, but you're also more likely to play sticky and not give up easy completions. Which, so you're more likely to get guys off the field. So you kind of have to play a little bit more man coverage. Everybody does on third and fourth down. So the Vikings did. And they were able to give up. They gave up that crossing route, and they weren't on the first time around. They didn't really have a whole player to help on that mesh, or it was a drag route. I think it was dig drag post. Um, so the dig receiver, dig being you know a short crosser, and then the drag being the the one coming from the other side of the field. So it's kind of a high load concept, not quite a mesh because a mesh is where they're supposed to like it's yeah. a rub route, pick route. Um, but dig drag post gives you a high low read. It's you know it's you, you split that middle defender and throw it to wherever he's not. So. 
Um, the Vikings didn't have like a whole player there to help there. And that, next time they did, but <laughs> they hit the they hit the drag post over the top because nobody carried the drag post. Um, and I, I think it was um, was it was it was it uh, Dantzler who had, who was just a step behind carrying him across the field. So um, there are ways to there are ways to help. You just have to you have to give them a hook player, a hole player. You have to be able to cheat back, and um, you can help that with a little bit. You just um, you know, maybe next time we don't blitz because last, you know, with the Josh Reynolds one, Goff was kind of just able to to, to throw it. Um, and Kendricks, you got a linebacker matched up against a wide receiver, and it was hard. Uh, it's a, that's a that's a matchup that's hard to, to win. So um, there are ways to solve it. So I'm not as concerned about it going forward. And I feel like looking at the way um, some of these defenders play, looking at how you know Harrison Phillips, Dalvin Thompson were able to sort of eat up double teams from a very good off but lines offensive line, um, the way that we were able to fit the run from too high. Um, the way that the coverage was kind of able to put things um, together in, the, in as the game went on, I feel um, this defense isn't good. In a, it's funny, like, I don't feel like this defense is very good, but I also feel like, or, or it hasn't been very good. The results haven't been very good, but I'm probably a little more bullish on this defense, um, having having watched it and figured out what's been, what's been going wrong, wrong. Like, the things, yeah. the problems that we have, I feel like are correctable. So I'm, yeah. I'm actually a little bit of an optimist when it comes to the defense. And, and it's encouraging to see that... Um, you know, that the team can make adjustments, that they're not just getting their ass kicked for four quarters. So that's really good to see. Yeah, um, so, so one th- quick thing I want to add there is on the third and fourth downs, I, I guess I am a little bit more concerned than Nick is moving forward simply because the range that the Lions were in going for those fourth downs is the optimal range probably to go to fourth downs. It's the fringe of field goal range. It's short yardage situations. And the Lions were very clearly on third down playing with the intent to go for it on fourth down as well. So if you're playing Nathaniel Hackett, right, with the Broncos, he's probably not going for it on those fourth downs. He's probably just punting because he doesn't know how to manage a football game. But I I think smart teams will try to take advantage of that still because the Lions were able to drive the ball to that point. You know, we're not forcing three and outs on this defense. And I do think that's a sustainability concern moving forward. Like the amount of yardage we're, we're giving up is probably going to be a problem for us eventually. I, I agree for another just, day, Matt. I, I agree. I just think most teams are dumb. <laughs> like, Fair. like, yeah, yeah. Dan, Dan Campbell is smart. It was the correct decision. Like analytically, uh, it was the correct decision to go for it on every single one of those fourth downs until the absolutely boneheaded decision to kick a field goal at the very end of the game and give the Vikings the ball back. Like that was a dumb decision. It's like the one It was the worst, like punting would have been better than kicking a field mm-hmm. goal there. Um, but, but all four, all six of the fourth downs, it was a good idea to go for it. But, most NFL teams are stupid and are not going to go for it on fourth of fourth and six from midfield like like Campbell did. So, um, yeah, I, I I I appreciate that that it's it's if if every team were smart, this would be a problem. But I don't. There are a few teams I'd, I'm worried about it a little bit. And actually, I think Kevin O'Connell's ahead of the curve on on a fourth down aggression. But um, it, it, it I also does, feel like it, this, it like was it. also game plans. But I feel like the Lions came into this knowing they were the underdog and they had to get a little plucky and aggressive. Um, and I feel like that went into their aggression. I'm not sure Dan Campbell's necessarily like an analytics um, forward guy. So I feel like that was part of it too. Like we're, we're favored by to lose by over a touchdown. So let's go ahead and um, try and put this game away as we can and keep our guys on the field. So um, yeah. it's a problem and it's not, you know, like Shannon Sullivan isn't going to get faster for covering crossers, but um, I also don't think it's, I don't, there, there aren't going to be many games this year where I expect the Vikings to have the defense to be out there for four separate fourth downs. So yeah, it, it's um, it does seem like a growing trend, though. I, I I've been watching a lot of college ball this year, and there's some teams where they pretty much don't punt. Like this just doesn't really happen. I I saw some college teams going for it on the other side of the fifty this this week. It was kind of crazy. I was like, whoa, okay. So this is really, it's changing. The game is changing. So, um, okay, let's talk a little bit, Matt. I want to hear from you about um the offensive turnaround. Okay, so we talked yeah. a little bit about. You know, the, the, there was kind of some sputtering in the first half. In the second half, again, adjustments seemed to correct a lot of mistakes. And we we had two come from behind. People threw that stat out there a lot this week. Um, a couple of come from behind moments in the game. And, and ultimately, we, we took took the win. So talk, talk to us a little bit about what you saw in the second half that kind of enabled that to happen, other than a wide open receiver on the game winning touchdown. <laughs> yeah. So, so I think they kind of alluded to this earlier where the Vikings went from an offensive design that was attempting to get Justin Jefferson open and get Justin Jefferson the ball 
to a design where it gave Kirk more freedom to go to his other wide receivers, and K.J. Osborne and Matt Adam Thielen were routinely beating the Detroit Lions on their, on their corners, right? It's It's been well documented, but the Lions uh, poured a ton of resources into stopping Justin Jefferson, right? They had Jeff Okuda pressed on him almost every play. Now, Jefferson beat press like a, a number of times in the game, but the problem was they had a safety shaded directly over top of him as well. So it doesn't like you can beat press off the line, but you still and if you don't have if you have a safety over top, you still can't win vertical right because that safety is taking away the vertical routes. So it really limits what you can do as a wide receiver. Um, and, and we we saw that early, right? Uh, there were a couple of targets to Jefferson where he was covered well. And also Kirk, I think, was a little off accuracy-wise early in the game. There were two or three throws that I think he really just missed. And, you know, in the second half, I think it was a lot more accurate. Uh, you know, there was one that was high to Jefferson early on. There was obviously the KJ uh, deep pass where he was wide open uh, and he just missed it long, you know, and it it's a little bit uncharacteristic for Kirk, but I think it's something that's happened the last two games. So it's something I kind of want to monitor moving forward is his accuracy and how he's playing in that. Like, because the one thing we did not have a question about Kirk Cousins coming into the season, the one thing that we very clearly knew he was good at is he puts the ball where he intends to put the ball. Like he's a very accurate quarterback typically, and we haven't seen that so far. Um, I, I think the run game was good in the second half, but I think it was also good in the first half. Like, uh, ultimately, I, I think what happened in the second half is the Lions just have better players, or the Vikings just have better players than the Lions do. Honestly, I was not impressed with the Lions' defense at all. Um, the only two NFL-caliber players uh, I, I see on that team, the only two like guys who I think should be starting right now are Anzalone, who I actually think had a pretty good game as a linebacker, and Jeff Okuda. Like, everybody else stinks in my opinion, including Aiden, Aiden Hutchinson, who got absolutely swallowed up by our tight ends. He was, he was awful. awful. Uh, he got his yeah, lunch beaten I, by it, Johnny Munt like three times. Yeah, it was bad. In, in, defensive, Aiden, if in, in defensive Aiden Hutchinson, he has had a pretty good start to the year, and supposedly he may have been hurt he had, this game. He had but, three cleanup sacks week two. Three and, cleanup and sacks. Rookie of the year, Rookie of the year. No, uh, any, anyway, uh, just just one other thing to shout out the offensive line. Like, the Lions were blitzing a ton in the second half, and we had a good protection plan to pick that up. It was a lot of the Zimmer blitzes, right? It's a lot of seven guys on the line of scrimmage, double A-gap mug, that sort of thing. Um, there were a couple times where they got pressure, um, but for the most part, the Vikings offensive line did a really good job of picking it up. Uh, Ed Ingram is still a little bit of a weak point on this offensive line. Uh, he got beat a couple times with quickness. Everybody else was pretty much a clean sheet in pass protection. It was kind of crazy. Uh, I, I really didn't see other guys get beat. And that includes Garrett Bradbury, who, you know, we've had tons of questions about in pass protection. So it was, it was pretty impressive from the offensive line as well in that second half to keep Kirk clean and give him the time to get the ball down the field. Mm, We're living sure. in a, like a bizarro version of the Vikings, where the offensive line is is like pulling, <laughs> is like allowing Kirk Cousins. It's like winning games while Kirk Cousins and the wide receivers drag them down. It's not <laughs> what we expected going into this year, but no, it's not. And maybe maybe we'll see all of that gel together pretty soon here. Um, so let's talk, guys. It's time. It's time for a little bit of tape talk. All right, let's dive into the details, the nitty gritty. That's what everyone's here for. So, um, Matt, let's keep it going with you for a second. Um, talk to us a little bit about you talked you talked about the offensive line play, and I'd like to hear more you know details about that soon. But let's talk a little bit first in a general way about the running game and and how and how the Vikings were able to get that how we were able to get that going. Yeah, so I, I do think they're kind of tied together, right? Because the offensive line is very integral to the success of the run game. But ultimately, I I think the hey, Vikings. Man, if you want to. One, if you want to loop them both into this segment, feel yeah, free. The, the Vikings won in two ways in the run game, and that's uh, having Delvin Cook hit the edge or having Delvin Cook hit the cutback. Uh, and, and Madison did a good job in general as well. Uh, getting hit, hitting both phases of the game. You know, he had, I, I don't know what his yardage is. Obviously, Cook had almost 100 yards before he ended up getting hurt. But if you look on the first two plays of the game, the Vikings are running a zone concept, and uh, the, the key block on the play is a tight end 
on Aiden Hutchinson. And that tight end locks Aiden Hutchinson down. I believe one time it was Ellison and the other time it was Johnny Munt. But he just got completely locked down. Dalvin Cook has the space. He hits the crease and he looked explosive. Like he looked like the Dalvin Cook we're hoping to see in this game. I think we saw that with a couple of the runs to the outside where he's beating the linebackers in edge pursuit and getting outside, you know, cornerbacks. But I, I, I think everybody along the line and that includes the tight ends, that includes the wide receivers, deserves a lot of credit for what we did in that in the run game. Like I don't I don't think we did anything particularly unique. There was a power play or two in there, but it, it was primarily just a, a well executed blocking scheme by the Vikings. And it's not like the Lions were playing with you know, like boxes, like the Vikings are all the time. They had guys rotated down pretty consistently, and we were still gashing them for chunk gains because of double teams between the offensive linemen, getting up to the second level, sticking onto the linebackers, and then also passing off players up front in terms of reach blocks and that sort of thing to be able to to have the success there. Um, and if I flip it over to the offensive line in general, I, I think I want to talk about pass protection a little bit too, particularly against those double-A mugs. So I, obviously we've seen a ton from Zimmer. I think the Lions are, are kind of running a little bit of an amateur hour copycat version of it, but they did have something that worked pretty well against us, and I, I'd like to see us shore it up in, in the future. Well I, well, I think there are two things. So one thing I'm concerned about, and Nick, I, I, I think we both saw Ed Ingram in college do a very good job of picking up stunts. Like, he was very cohesive with their the offensive line at LSU. I don't think he's reached that level of cohesion and comfort on the Vikings offensive line yet. Um, he could do it at LSU, but he yeah. he tends to, to bite a little bit too much on the looper. Like, he will mm-hmm. he'll see it coming. It's not a, it's not an issue of awareness. It's He gets a little over-eager and, like... Um, you know, gives up a little bit too much ground. And it's it's the same thing where like he, he'll turn his he'll rotate his body too much rather than like walking backwards or he'll he'll um he'll open the gate a little bit or um he's a little bit too eager to like open his hips. So um same thing comes along in the stunt game. Um I, I so I it's it's part of why I'm like I'm encouraged by Ed Ingram's game is because a lot of the issues I, I see are like I feel pretty correctable. I mean I'm not, I'm not an offensive line coach, but I feel like the things that he's done are like rookie mistakes that I feel like can be ironed out. And yeah, in the stunt game, when loopers come around, he'll, you'll see him like chasing after them. Like <laughs> and it's a little, it's a little, it's a little funny to watch because, you know, he's, he's, he's out running there, running there <laughs> right behind them. But um, I, I feel like he's got potential to pick it up, but yeah, so far some, it's an area he's struggling with. Yeah. So, so that is uh, an area of weakness for Ed Ingram for me that I'd like to see him clean up, obviously. Um, and then on those double A gap mugs, uh, the Lions did something that was successful a couple times against Bradbury and Ezra Cleveland with uh, the running back in pass protection, where Bradbury takes the one linebacker that's the cl- declared, and then the running back is supposed to take the other linebacker. But they stunted to where the running back was supposed to take the linebacker, and Dalvin Cook and Ezra Cleveland struggled to pass that off. So I, I'm I'm interested to see how that works moving forward. Um, and also it does get a matchup of a defensive lineman on a running back, which is a little bit of a concern. Uh, you know, just, just in general for an offense, like you'd rather have your running backs on linebackers than your offensive linemen on defensive linemen. So I'm interested to see how they clean that up moving forward. But that was the main source of pressure coming against the Vikings. Outside of that, I think the offensive line did a great job picking it up. Like Nick said, uh, Christian Darisaw was fantastic, both getting movement in the run game and completely stonewalling people in pass protection. It was a really promising game from him, I think. It's really great to see all these pieces that, you know, we've thrown so much crap at the wall <laughs> on offensive line for so many years. It's nice to see some of these um, swings, even though they're they're not Quezzy's guys. But but it's nice to see it's nice to see it coming together on the offensive line. Um, Nick, look, keep it rolling a little bit for us. Talk, talk to us a little bit about um, you know we we talked about the fourth down plays already, um, but just just out of curiosity. Because it's kind of a novelty right now that that seems to be increasing in in you know league both leagues uh, people going for it on fourth. What did you see from the Lions? Like what are what are what are they doing to to be so effective on fourth down? 
I think part of it is they know their identity and they know the strengths and weaknesses of their offense. Like I said, I have a lot of respect for that coaching offense. So I think part of them going for it so much on fourth downs is they are a team built to win in short yardage. I mean, you look at those offensive linemen and those running backs, and they're 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 built to beat you um, when they when they want to. And I, th- I think this is what part was of that stat from this week? It was like four point five, four point six yards before anyone even touches. Yeah, them. they're averaging more average yards um, of 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 yards before contact than anybody else in the league. And part of that is one part of that is they scheme up really good run game. They have a very diverse run. They, they throw everything at you. Um, and part of one of their, I'll get to it in a second, but one of their one run designs was, was I think a big reason why they succeeded. Um, so they throw everything at you, but also they're just excellent at, at executing it. You know, they got really good offensive line, um, offensive alignment there. So, um, and so when you have a really good, it's a, di- you know, when you have like Tom Brady and it's fourth and inches, you're you're going to go for more QB sneaks because that's like his he's just really good at it. So it's the same thing, you know. If you have, um, you know, uh, a, a, an incredible fullback or whatever, and, and a great offensive line, you're going to go for it more. And so there were there were a couple fourth and short con- situations where they converted. I think the fourth the first fourth down was a fourth and one, um, and they designed this run. Um, it was kind of like a man gap play, but um, they cut across. Uh, the formation uh, with with two slice blocks. So slice block being you know a cut block from somebody from a skill player, or a wide receiver, or tight end coming across the formation. So they had two of them come in, um, and they were able to sort of crash down on Daniel Hunter, crash down on um, Shannon Sullivan, and it was you know we had every gap plugged up play side, but but the weak side, um, you know the, the back side, they they were able to create a gap by having those two. It was kind of like in the same way that power the the. the the way you draw power is you're supposed to have both the, the fullback and the backside guard pull through. And, you know, you have both those guys ram through to create an opening. Well, it was, it was a similar concept. Um, so, so you had the two like slice blocks come in and, and create, and they were just able to, um, you know, even though like Dalvin Tomlinson is able to take on double teams, even though Harrison Phillips is able to take on double teams, even though like Zedari Smith, Daniel Hunter, like you trust them, but do you trust, you know, TJ Hawkinson, the Shannon Sullivan versus TJ Hawkinson? That's a little bit more dicey. So, um, yeah, just a, a, a way they were, you know, they, they attacked the bubble and I think a smart way and they were able to convert. It was a fourth and one. Um, and, and I think when you're going up against the Lions on fourth and one, you have to live with the fact that they're going to win a couple of those. Um, the next one I think was, um, actually that was the next one I think was the Eric Kendricks stop, which is one of the best plays I've seen from Eric Kendricks has had two like elite, nobody else in the NFL can do this type of plays. The first one was that, you know, pressing Bob Tunyon, trailing him up the field on the seam route and then deflecting it for the pass breakup on fourth down against the Packers. Um, this week it was fourth and two. Um, they were right at midfield. Um, and so fourth and two, um, they, 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 they hit us with like a, a, a boot off wide zone action. So everybody is, you have to fit the run there. You have you can't you can't live in a too high outgapped world on fourth and two because that's that's your run heavy personnel. You know you're throwing out Jonathan Bullard. You're probably throwing out James Lynch as well. You're, you're getting all your big bodies in there. Um, so everybody has to think run. And Eric Hendricks is tasked with basically um, being the backside like like cleanup player to 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 to, to catch the cutback lane in case um, DeAndre Swift works back across the formation. But instead, Lions have this play design where they, it's designed to go to TJ Hawkinson, who blocks down on Eric Hendricks and then releases back the opposite way into the flat, like a whip route. Um, so it's it's a very tough um, play, because especially because of the down and distance. You are really expecting, you really have to respect the run. Um, and then Goff was able to, to roll out. You know, that's part, one of the things he's, you know, the, the McVay system, Goff does well, is, is those boots, those rollouts. Threw a nice ball. TJ Hawkinson was able to high point it. But Eric Hendricks, because he basically was able to see this coming the whole way, mirrored Hawkinson's route. It was like immediately, he saw it immediately. Like as soon as Hawkinson broke back, Eric Hendricks was also moving back and he was able to close the distance, get his way into the catch point and fight through the, the pass, uh, fight through the catch point for a pass breakup. So a really well earned fourth down stop on that one. Um, the there was there was another fourth down on um it was also midfield i think it was fourth and seven um that was the one where zadarius smith had had like immediate pressure on a tech stunt but golf was able to roll out and that was the the one we mentioned earlier where it was josh reynolds um he was coming across on a crosser um the vikings were in i think you know cover one hole um where the or, or robber where the safety rotated down but Kendricks tried to pass off the route, or he was, you know, he Kendricks was matched up with with Josh Reynolds um, from a stack alignment running across the field, and that's, you know, you, anytime. It, I mean, you kind of, that was kind of one you just have to tip your head, tip your cap to the offensive design because 
Um, they were able to set up. They knew man coverage was coming because it's fourth down. They were able to scheme up a wide receiver against Eric Kendricks. So, so sometimes you win that one. I hope next time you hope like the whole player, maybe you, instead of having the safety play, play the whole player, maybe you have a linebacker play the whole player to help take away those crossers, mesh concepts, the, those man beaters that you typically see on, on fourth downs. But yeah, they got away with one. You also hope, you know, <laughs> Maybe Zadarius Smith gets home next time. Golf was at, you know, a rare occasion of golf able to sort of um, evade the sack. Uh, you, you know, a little bit of a of a, uh, a magic evasion in the pocket from Jared Goff, not something he's he's known for. But it was a good play by them. So, you know. Just a side note, he really did surprise me in this game. It wasn't just that we weren't giving him pressure. It's like you said, he, he did manage to escape some pressure this week. It was kind of yeah. surprising. Uh, honestly, on the flip side, I thought we were getting great pressure. Um, I thought everybody played well, including Zadarius Smith and Daniel Hunter. Like, Hunter beat guys clean a couple times, and Goff was just able to get away from him, which is not what we've expected when we've seen Jared Goff in years past. But I'll let you keep going, Nick. Yeah, yeah, and I've seen some people being like, where's Daniel Hunter? I thought he was supposed to be a really good player. I was, it was, it was, yeah, he is. He's just been going up against, like, really good tackles. And, like, same thing with Zadarius Smith. Like, Zadarius Smith has not been going up against, you know, Penny Sewell and, and Lane Johnson. He's been usually schemed up a lot, especially on passing downs against, like, interior offensive linemen because that's his game. Um, but that's what you want. And it's just that, you know, they've, they've had really good pressures. They're both, I think, Hunter, I think, is, is 18th in pass rush grade and, and Zadarius Smith is, like, 15th or something. Zedaria Smith has like 13 pressures and Hunter has like seven, which is both like um, top 20-ish range for for defensive for edge defenders, starting edge defenders in the NFL. So it's, it's not like they're bad. They're like, um, they're, they're, they're good. And Hunter, it's just, uh, with, with both of them, they're, they're dealing with quarterbacks who Jalen Hurts and Jared Goff were both able to get the ball out. Um, so, you know, it was kind of, they, they, were, they had a lot of pass rush wins, but they weren't able to necessarily get home. I think that'll change. You know, some quarterbacks hold on to the ball a lot and take sacks. We're going to have two games against Justin Fields this year. Where we'll probably have some of those, you know, like the yeah. DJ Wan type sacks. Whereas, you know, uh, Justin Fields decides to hold on to the ball for five seconds on a screen call. Like, not some quarterbacks are smarter than that. So, um, yeah, I, I'm not I'm not worried at all about the edge rushers. The, the results actually, will come. I, I think I think we're all pretty confident that those are the two guys that we're not really that worried about on defense. Um, and, you know, I... I'll wrap up quickly on the fourth downs. There was one other conversion oh, they had, sorry. which was the big drag post. I already explained that we were that actual that one came a little bit later on in the game, and um, they they had um, they had whole players to to cover the drag, but they didn't have somebody to cover the one over the top. So um, I think it was um, Dantzler was you know Dantzler thought he might have had inside help, or he didn't. He gave up kind of the inside release, and then from there, you know, anytime you're running away from somebody, you've already established leverage. It's a pretty easy pitch and catch. So. Um, kind of need to dancer needs to play that a little bit better and they probably need to be aware of just um, you can't give up those easy crossers across the middle of the field and hopefully um, defenders need to play that better so they can take those away have people waiting lying in wait so that you don't give up those easy completions on on the middle on the the drag routes the, the mesh routes the crossing routes so and the last one was um, the the run it was another short yardage run um, that we just plugged up really, really well. It was the last one that, that got the, the Vikings the ball back at the very end of the game. It was a fourth and one, um, and the Jamal Williams, um, you know, was, was able to sort of bounce it outside after everything was clogged up inside, um, and they were kind of just able to – I forget exactly who made the tackle. It was, it was Hunter primary on the attack. He was able to knock the tight end back and get off for the tackle, and then Kendricks and Patrick Peterson came in and helped as well. And it was, it was great by Kendricks, too, because the run action was zoned to the left and Williams cut back immediately to the right. So, it you know, he read that play instantly and was able to get over there and help get him on the tackle. There was a lane there. One thing that I've really come to appreciate watching this this Vikings run defense and especially, you know, watching the career of Eric Kendricks and him vacillating between people thinking he's the best linebacker in the NFL and people thinking, like, he's a good undersized pass defender and below average run defender is, like, um, when you keep Eric Kendricks clean, like that's the key, man. Like when you keep when when you have those guys like like Michael Pierce or Linval Joseph who can or or Harrison Phillips or Dalvin Thompson are really good at it too, who can eat up double teams and prevent those that that other that other offensive lineman from releasing upfield and getting a hand on Kendricks. Like that's when you start to see really high level run plays because Kendricks is really good at sniffing things out, knowing where the ball is going, being able to even like two gap be responsible for multiple gaps just by being aware that like. Depending on where the running back goes, I have to be responsible to fall back into this lane too. Um, but if you allow like a center a free release, and this was one thing that they they got they got gashed on is if if you allow that center to free release up, 
Kendricks is not going to be able to sort of um, wiggle his way around like that. That's an offense. That's a matchup that the offensive line is going to win. Mm-hmm. Like a line, uh, an offensive lineman against the linebacker, especially an undersized one like Kendricks. So um, it's it's made me appreciate and also feel. And it's another way in which like um, maybe the results weren't necessarily incredible, but like I re- one I respect this uh, this opposing rushing attack, and two I think the schematic foundation is really sound and they've got really good players. So um, yeah, Ken, that was that was that fourth down was another example of Kendricks like immediately reading the run. And because of how good the guys were up front, being able to flow immediately to the ball, um, and you saw a lot of purple jerseys right there at the catch at the attack point. It was a good, it was a good bounce back by by um, by Williams. It was a, it was a nice read. Um, there was grass there, but everybody was able to immediately fly to the ball and prevent him from picking up any extra yardage after contact. So, uh, mm-hmm. a good stop overall. You know, four for six, and I think they had to go back to the drawing board and learn how to you know defend those man beaters. But for the most part, um, you, you saw some really good things too from Kendricks on the stop, from the team in the run in the run defense stops. So. Absolutely. We're, we're learning more and more about this team every week. And, and I think, I think the pieces are there. And uh, they have one thing I'll say for this team, they have an identity there. There have been Vikings yep. teams that you don't know what they're trying to be good at, what they're supposed to be. The John D. Filippo offense was like, what, what are you even putting out here? It's just like a, a amalgamation of concepts that you, you copied from 32 different playbooks. But this, you know, the Donatel defense has an identity. It, it runs more too high pre-snap than anybody else, but it also rotates every single time. Um, or, or, you know, it's it runs, you know, about as much middle of field closes as middle of the field open. So it's, and it's, it's you know, it, it does a lot of different things. And offensively, you know, we're a mid-zone-based run game that wants to attack people down the field, but we're also going to sprinkle in a couple other um, fun spread concepts, shotgun concepts as well. So um, you kind of, you want to have an identity. You want to be different. You don't want to be a copycat. You don't want to be trying to imitate somebody else's success. So that is encouraging to me from at least a scheme perspective that if the Vikings are going to win or lose, they're going to do it on their own terms with their own thing. And those are the types of teams that, you know, it's when, when teams win Super Bowls, they usually have their own unique identity. They're usually not, it's not a copycat team that wins the Super Bowls. It's it's the teams that want to be the last year's Super Bowl team that that is the copycat team. So I'm if nothing else, I'm happy that the Vikings are, you know, they're doing something that's that's different. And even though, like, yeah, it's a McVay clone, yeah, it's a it's a Fangio clone, they're also different. Like Donatel's Fangio version is is different than like like Brandon Staley's and is different from some of the other like Fangio imitators out there. So same thing with Kevin O'Connell. Like it's we've we've seen him evolve. This is not a McVay offense. This has got a lot of the other different concepts. So um that much I think is it's not necessarily good in and of itself to be weird, to be different, but I think you would it, it increases your likelihood of being really good or really bad. So that's that's a trade-off I'll take. Yeah, yeah. I, I like the upside there. And one thing I will say on the offense that I like about it is it is a high density of shot plays, or at least there's a vertical option on almost every play we're calling. There's none of this, like, uh, all curls or, or, like, you know, some some offenses, and last year we kind of got into it in quick game with, like, Dragon Lion and some of the other uh, quick game short concepts where it's all quick game and if teams are keying on that on early downs where you're trying to get ahead of the chains or something, they shut it down, now all of a sudden you're behind the chains. The Vikings at least have prevent people from doing that, so hopefully the underneath options will open up eventually. Yeah, absolutely. Um, good, good stuff, guys. So we've got three games, you know, in the rearview mirror. We've seen a lot of positives. We've seen a lot of negatives. The reality is we're two and one, and we're headed to London for a big matchup with um, not a divisional rival, but certainly a rival rival. None of us have any uh, fondness for this team. We're about to face off against the New Orleans Saints. In London, let's not spend too much time on the whole, you know, London, you know, when do you, when should you show up, et cetera. The reality is New Orleans went there early. They're there now. Uh, we're taping this on a Wednesday night. Um, Vikings are headed to London tonight, I think, actually, tomorrow, or at least tomorrow. Uh, I, I, think I think tomorrow night, and they arrive there Friday. Right, okay. So they're not giving themselves a ton of time and two completely different approaches. You know, there's really no hard evidence at all. It's just about what your team wants to do. There are some truths about the London game. If you come out flat, it's unlikely you're going to wake up. That's something I think we can, we've all seen from the London game. It's it's important to come out strong. And so we'll see how these teams kind of um, come out. Uh, we do have some injuries. I'm just going to blow through real quickly. Um, some injury concerns. Uh, obviously, Andrew Booth is still out. 
Um, Dalvin Cook with the shoulder, again, unfortunately, um, you know, become a, a chronic issue with one of my favorite players. I got his jersey, my new jersey on um, tonight. I'm, I'm disappointed about that. He may still play, but he'll certainly be playing in a limited fashion, um, at least physically. C.J. Ham, kind of a surprise addition to the uh, did not practice list this morning, as of Wednesday at least. Um, and a little bit of a concerning addition in Zaire Smith. Have you guys heard anything? I know he went out with a, a knee late in the game. Have you guys heard anything about details about this? I, I have not. So he played in the, in the rest of the game. Uh, so I, I'm not super concerned about it, although he might be limited in terms of how he performs on the field, right? If, if obviously, if he's DMP, he's not going to be full strength. But I think he'll play. Yeah, I agree. I, I haven't read anything that makes me think he's not going to play. So we're going to have a relatively full complement. Got the London game, all the weirdness of that. But let's talk about the team that we're facing because we have the we're, we're playing football at the end of the day, right? Um, the New Orleans Saints, they've been a kind of a weird team. They're they're I don't think they're good. <laughs> I don't think they're good. They've definitely had some exciting football at times. Um, talk to me a little bit, Matt, about their offense. Um, we'll, we'll just say at the top, uh, Michael Thomas, Jarvis Landry, possibly going to miss this one. Um, which would be huge for us. But talk to us a little bit about their offense and, you know, their struggles, their, their, their winning, you know, what, what's yeah. going on with you? So their offense is a little bit interesting to approach because their quarterback literally has a broken back and he's just like playing. I mean, obviously the fracture, he has like four fractured vertebrae or something that is, I guess, not a big deal to make it worse when you well, get hit? I don't really understand. Tony Romo, Tony Romo played a whole season on that in injury, but these yeah. are two different kind of players, right? Like, Jameis is not the same as, yeah. as like, Tony. Tony was a so, statue. And so, Jameis Winston is, you know, kind of a gamble at the best of times with him, and, and him playing hurt has not been good for the Saints offense. Um, I will say it does still have the Jameis characteristics of being willing to just chuck the ball downfield. And they do have a player in Chris Olave, who I was very excited about coming in the draft. He was my favorite uh, receiver, you know, in the draft. Um, but, it, you know, and, and he put on a show last week. I think he ended up with 140-something yards receiving. Yeah. And the week before, he had something like a record. He didn't actually produce all that much, but against the Bucks, he had a record like 317 air yards or something, right? Which is on targets. That's how deep he was when he was targeted. So uh, Jameis has obviously Might shown... Might be a monster. Yeah. So Jameis has obviously shown the willingness to throw him the ball. Uh, the Vikings, you know, it's been pretty well documented to have our... I mean, I swear if I hear shell coverage another time on the broadcast <laughs> without them actually attempting to explain anything about how coverage structures work, I, I'm just... Matt, Matt, how do shell coverage structures uh, work? <laughs> well, you see, Greg, uh, the Vikings can run a lot of a variety of coverages out of their two high shells, uh, but I digress. Um it's just really frustrating. I'm going to have to mute the commentators if they say that again. Like, uh, anyway, uh, but so so the Saints have a have a pretty good list of offensive weapons, obviously, uh, honestly, with Olave, uh, Landry, and Michael Thomas, and obviously Alvin Kamara out of the backfield. Now, their offensive line is also banged up. Uh, Andrews Pete, their starting left guard. Was it's also DMP. worth mentioning Kamara a little banged up as well. Yeah. This team is banged up across they're, the board. They're, they're a lot more banged up than we are heading into this game, even if our injury report is the longest of the season so far. So I, I think we're going to be able to get home on the offensive line, particularly against the left side of the offensive line. I would try to put overload pressures and stuff on that side because, you know, Ryan Ramchak's a very great uh, right tackle. But with Andrews Pete banged up and uh, they expected Trevor Penning to start at left tackle for them this season, he obviously in preseason uh, got an injury where he's out for the year. So they're on their backup left tackle already. Um, so I'd like to see that. They haven't done a good job of getting Kamara involved uh, so far. If they do do a better job of it in this game, we're going to have to tackle well against Alvin Kamara. You know, that's something we've had a little bit of trouble with in the past. Uh, I I seem to remember a Christmas Day game where uh, tackling that, Alvin Kamara was optional. That did not happen. That was not a real event. <laughs> There's uh, no such thing as that game. But, uh, but yeah, so... About. 
So they've been pretty disjointed on offense, and I, I think the offensive line issues and Jameis Winston are the woes for that. Now, the Vikings still need to tighten up their coverage because Jameis is a very risky player, but I think even he can hit wide open windows to open receivers to, and have them run after the catch, right, to make those completions. I, I think he can make those decisions. So if we're able to muddy the picture for him a bit more than we've been able to for Jalen Hurts or Jared Goff in the past couple weeks, I think we'll have a successful day on defense. Nick, do you have anything to add to that? I, I think that's pretty succinct. Yeah, I mean, good weapons. Um, two really good pieces on the offensive line and then a bunch of huge question marks. Um, yep. Eric McCoy is the other one in addition to Bramchick. So, um, but it's a weak link system. So better to have five dudes than, than, you know, three studs and two Dakota Dozers. So, um, and then, you know, the big question mark that kind of, I think will dictate the game is will Jameis play because Jameis is, he makes a lot of mistakes, but he also makes a lot of like incredible, he's like the, you know, the, the, the Brett Farvey and, um, boneheaded mistakes, but you live with them because he also throws incredible touchdowns and gives your guys chances. He'll throw it into triple coverage, and guys will come down with it anyway. So, are we are we more scared of Jameis playing, or are we scared or more scared of Andy Dalton playing? That's what I want to know. What is I'm our preference? Scared. I'm more scared of Jameis just because I, think so too. I feel like the Vikings on paper are the better team. They are favored to win this game by a few points. So, um, and it's a London game where I, I don't really think. Either team is technically it's a Saints home game, but I don't, I don't think either team is given home field advantage by betting markets when it's a London game. So I think the Vikings are the better team. But that said, Jameis gives them more volatility. I think Andy Dalton is a low volatility quarterback. Who's actually I think he's a, he's a fine quarterback. I, I think he's a bottom tier starting caliber quarterback, but still starting caliber quarterback. So that's a really good backup. Um, so not necessarily a biggest drop off, but I think just because of their styles of plays, um, you know, Andy Dalton can certainly beat the Vikings. I think we've seen him do it. So um, I. I and especially, you know, like Dalton's the type of quarterback who is going to be helped out by throwing to really good weapons in Olave coming on and then Michael Thomas being healthy again and, and Landry still being there too. Landry's a good weapon too. So, and Kamara, you know, if you can match up Kamara on Jordan Hicks, like that's going to be money all day. So they have weapons that they can beat you with. So uh, I don't think it's going to be easy, but I, I do I do like overall um, our defense's chances against, especially given the injuries that they've unfortunately been struggling with. Part of the excitement of watching Jameis is that you, you don't always know what you're going to get. And, you know, there, there's, a, there's a chance that he'll come out and he'll have one of those games that he is capable of, which, which is, you know, 300-plus yards, multiple touchdowns. You know, it, he's got it in him. So I agree. I, I definitely would rather see Dalton because I think, I think if you try to dink and dunk against us in London, it's, it's fucking over. Um, okay, let's, let's talk a little bit about um, – the defensive side of the ball for the Saints. Um, Nick, why don't you keep it rolling? T talk to us a little bit about yeah. what your impression is of, of the Saints' defense. It's hard to get a handle on this defense because, like, I, I understand the Saints' offense, um, but, like, I don't know. Like, this defense is, like, I don't know. The, the offense is, is it's interesting because it's, like, 28th in EPA, but I feel like they're actually – they have some good weapons and they're probably a little bit better than that, whereas, like, the defense, I think, is 8th in EPA – Per play, but I'm pretty sure they're not as good as that. But they do, I don't know, they do have some weapons. Cam Jordan is still there, and he's, you know, for a long time, he was the prototypical, you know, power five technique, you know, seven technique pass rusher. Um, but it seems like he's started to drop off. He's on the wrong side of 30. Um, Marcus Davenport, you know, he was, they traded up two first to get him, and he has been, you know, like, okay, like still a lot of potential there. So I don't know. I mean, they got Marshawn Lattimore, who is, you know, for a long time was the prototypical, like, cornerback one he had that incredible rookie season he's been good he's been like a good caliber um, cornerback but it's cornerback is just a position where it's very hard to sustain success so um they've got some good player i mean they signed Tyron matthews so he's there in the backfield along with marcus may who's like a, a solid starting safety um you know paulson adebo young guy um, bradley roby in the in the nickel spot when they're in nickel um demario davis really good linebacker so like they they're dudes there and like the entire conceit behind okay sean payton is retiring we're going to promote De dennis allen is dennis allen's done some really good things with his defense but also i feel like this is you know this is the ghost of christmas future where where this is you know when when people worry about what are the vikings doing with their roster by extending harrison smith by extending adam thielen I feel like the Saints is the horror story. You say, like, you don't want to wind up like the Saints where Cam Jordan is 35 and you're paying him however much, and um, all your good players are over 30, and you've, you've still lost a lot of playmakers. You've lost Marcus Williams. You've lost a lot of the other pieces that kind of made this defense tick. So um, 
All that to say, um, they're good at some things. Uh, they're actually the lowest graded team by pass rush by pass rush grade right now. So um, that that's uh, a good sign for our offensive line. Give them a little bit of an easier matchup. Um, I don't fully believe it because I, I I've seen too many good things from Cam Jordan, but it's true that their interior guys are, are not good. So um, this is a team that we can probably run on a little bit and probably buy time for explosives. That said, I think their secondary is actually pretty good. Like maybe you can pick on a Debo or somebody, but like um, if if he's your if he or Bradley Roby are your worst cornerback, you're not in the worst position in the world. So um, I don't know. I, it's a talented defense and it's a well coached defense, but I'm not sure if it's good defense. <laughs> if that if that can, if that can be squared. I think that that's kind of how I would describe the entire Saints experience. I'll admit I haven't watched a lot of Saints this year, but what I've seen, I've been – they just seem like an up-and-down team. Matt, do you have anything to add about the Saints defense? Yeah, so <clears> – excuse <throat> me here again. I'm losing my voice. Um, You're drinking too much water. Man. I guess, I guess. On the, on the <laughs> Saints defense, um, I think ultimately it'll be another question of – how they want to play Justin Jefferson and how the Vikings are going to respond to that. I mean, my expectation is that they put Marshawn Lattimore on Justin Jefferson, and then we're going to need to rely on our wide receivers beating their second-tier corners in Paulson Adebo and Bradley Roby there, and I think we can do it. Like, from an offensive perspective, I've got, uh, you know, I, I think that the offense should look to just run plays that are pure progression reads rather than the kind of designer plays that are trying to get Justin Jefferson open early in the game. I think that's the issue we've run into both of the last two games where teams have kind of locked down Jefferson on plays that we're expecting him to be open on, and he's the primary read. If we can give Kirk more plays where we use Jefferson as a decoy and then hit those other two receivers like we were in the second half or, or the Lions were just committing so many resources to Jefferson that we didn't even really need to use him as a decoy. It's just kind of how, how they were playing defense in that game. Um, I think we'll be set up for success early on. And then, like Nick said, um, I think we might be able to have some success running the football. And, you know, running the football, or at least showing that you're willing to, even if we have Alex Madison in there, does help you set up play actions and that sort of thing, right? It helps get the linebackers to bite on some level. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I think we just want to see an offense that's able to consistently move the chains and not sputter and get behind early on in the game. That's what I'm looking – that's what I'm hoping for this game. I, I think we do that by featuring, you know, Adam Thielen and K.J. Osborne a little bit more than Justin Jefferson early on. And then if they adjust to start, you know, evening out the coverage, right, then we can go back to the designer place to Justin Jefferson. That's kind of how I'd like to see the order is hit the secondary guys first. And then when just when they've kind of given up going after Jefferson, hit them with Justin Jefferson. Mm. Totally agree with that, actually, 100%. Um, so, guys, let's really quickly give us your pick. Who do you, who do you pick in, in the London game, Vikings against the Saints? Nick, let's start with you. Who's your pick? Just real briefly. I have the Vikings winning this one, but it's going to be a one-score game, I think. Oh, wow. Okay. Matt, how about you? Uh, yeah, Vikings win this one, but they don't cover because I've been wrong on every spread prediction for the Vikings so far. So I'm going to pick the Vikings to cover the spread in this game, but my expectation now that I'm picking that is that they won't. <laughs> I don't believe in the Saints at all. I think they're yuck. I have no confidence in them whatsoever. I think we're going to stop these fools. Two touchdown win on Sunday morning. Um, all right, guys, let, let's uh, let's let's. It's time. It's time for my favorite segments and yours. <laughs> um, it is time for fifteen seconds of fantasy. Every every week that I'm on the show, <laughs> we dedicate fifteen seconds uh, of of the show to uh, discussing our fantasy teams because we know you don't want to hear it, but we desperately want to talk about it. Um, Nick, I'm going to start with you, and the clock starts now. I'm three and zero, Greg, and the most important thing about my roster <laughs> is that Drake London has now supplanted <laughs> Kyle Pitts as the one A new dog in town. That was not that was longer than five seconds, Matt. It's you. Uh, Greg, I beat you last week, and you were so scared you didn't show up to the podcast. <laughs> oh, man. Guys, it's just the beginning. 
It's just the beginning. All right. Um, let's, <laughs> it's been a pleasure speaking with you this evening. <laughs> it's over. 15 seconds of fantasy is over. No I more can't falling. believe we're still doing that bit. I assume that would be like something we would do like the first two podcasts and then grow out of. But I guess if our listeners never, like an hour into this, like I'm never know, letting it go. Never letting it go. Um, Matt, uh, freeze everyone. You can find at Fry's Football on Twitter. Nick Olson, you can find very easily at Nick Olson NFL on Twitter. Um, you can find me on Twitter or Instagram at You've Been Gregged with three G's and just one. Also, D, his only no fans e. account, FYI. Yeah, well, that's also my only fans account. Yeah, I don't, I don't really advertise that, but thank you, Nick, for for mentioning that you can see my dick on OnlyFans. <laughs> Greg, the children that listen to this podcast do not appreciate it. <laughs> I have not made one off-color joke in like the last six appearances I've made on this episode. You know, so I, I got to get one in there once in a while. Apple podcast coming after us. <laughs> I got I to gotta, I gotta raise the stakes once in a while. Um, all right. You can find us at Kindred Skulls on Twitter. You can also find us on YouTube by searching for Kindred Skulls. We're available wherever you listen to podcasts. Gentlemen, it's been a lovely time with you this evening. Thank you for allowing me to join you as always. Anything, any last words? Allowing you to join the Greg Blake show. <laughs> yeah, we, we went like an hour and now I have to click the little checkbox on the explicit rating. So thanks for that, Greg. Uh, no problem. I'm but, happy to do it. Click that fucking button, man. Wow. Okay. Wow. Uh, all right. That's aggressive. Hey, Skull Vikings win in London. Skull Vikes, baby. Beat them. Skull, oh, baby. The first round corner wouldn't do us any harm. Oh, another first round corner wouldn't do us any harm. Oh, another first round corner wouldn't do us any harm. And we'll all cheer on behind. And we'll score.